You are about to listen to Guard Your Tongue, a practical, engaging guide to the laws of Shmiras Halashon. This is a Shmooze production. All of the Shmoozin, as well as all the series that deal with real-life issues, are available on theshmooze.com. At theshmooze.com, you can download or listen live. All of the Shmoozin are available free of charge. Please visit us at www.theshmuz.com. That's theshmooze.com. The day after Rosh Hashanah, we <coughs> celebrate the Tainus called Tzom Gedalia. And Allah and Shulchan Aruch is on the 3rd of Tishrei. We fast because of Tzom Gedalia. The Mishra explains that Gedalia ben Achikam was appointed Rosh. He was appointed as the head of what was left of, of Israel at the time. And he was killed. When he was killed, all the remaining Jews who had been then in Eretz Yisrael were all either killed out or exiled. And thousands were killed. And this was sort of like the end of the last embers of the by Yisrisha on the first base of Migdush. But if we pay attention to the way the Navi describes this in Yirmiya, I think we'll see a very interesting event. Nuchanetzer was the king of Bovel. He set his eyes on conquering Eretz Yisrael, and he sent various generals. The final general who actually conquered Yerushalayim was Nebuzaradan. In the Navi, Nebuzaradan is given the t- title of Rav Hatabchim, Chief Butcher. He entered Yerushalayim and wholesale slaughter began killing men, women, children, and it was a tremendous destruction. He destroyed the base of Migdash, this is the first base of Migdash, and he sent the Jews into Gullus. However, Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king, decided that he wanted to allow the Jews to remain, at least some of the Jews, to remain in Eretz Yisrael. And he appointed Gedaliah ben Achikam to be the ruler of that area, meaning to say the Jews would be allowed to stay there. They would be somewhat autonomous, not completely autonomous, but they would have some autonomy. But the point being that the Jews would be allowed to stay there and provided they pay taxes, etc. to Bovel, they would be allowed to remain there. Gedaliah was appointed as the head of that sort of government and immediately the word spread and the Jews began flocking back to Eretz Yisrael. The Jews who had gone to Ammon and Moab, all the surrounding areas, they all came back. And there was a new revival, and there was in fact the Yishuv, the Jews were there. And it looked very, very promising. Because again, even though we didn't have the base of Mikdash, but there were thousands upon thousands of Jews that were back in Eretz Yisrael, and they were all welcome. Gedalia was the seat of government, and there would have been a very positive result from this. In any case, the Navi tells us that the Melech of Bnei Ammon, the king of Ammon, decided that he didn't want the Jews remaining there, so he went over to a Jew named Yishmael ben Netanya, and he asked this Yishmael to go in private, in secret, as an assassin, and kill Gedalia. Now, even though this was said, obviously, in a, in a sort of secretive way, the word quickly spread and many Jews became aware of the fact that this Yishmael was going to kill Gedalia. One of those Jews was Yochanan ben Karach. Yochanan, together with a number of other people, come running to Gedalia and say, Gedalia, the king of Ammon, appointed Yishmael as an assassin. 
This Yishmal is going to kill you. Please protect yourself. Gadai was not interested in listening. Gadai refused to listen. And the next day, Yochanan ben Kerach came over to Gedaliah privately and said, Sir, please, I'm telling you, Ishmael is coming to kill you. Let me meet him along the way. Let me kill him. No one will know about it. And I'll save you and I'll save the Yishuv. They'll be left from Yehuda. Something <coughs> says Gedaliah to Yochanan ben Kerach, Ki sheker atadover al Yishmael. You're speaking lies. I will not accept it. In fact, what happened was <coughs> Gedaliah welcomed Yishmael and his men in. They ate together a meal. Gedaliah and Yishmael and together with his men got up and killed out Gedaliah. Yishmael killed Gedaliah. Yishmael killed all the rest of those people there. And Yishmael began a wholesale murder of the Jews. The Gemara Nida tells us that many years later they found a large cistern, a very large well filled with bones, filled with bones and the Gemara says, these were the bones that Yishmael killed. These were the bones of the people that Yishmael killed because he didn't just kill Gedaliah. He killed literally thousands and thousands of Jews. And the rest of the Jews were then exiled because once Gedaliah was no longer the seat of government, once he was no longer in power, and Bavel no longer wanted us to be there, and the Sherish Yisrael, the remaining Jews of Yehuda, were exiled from that point. Interestingly though, the next parak, when they describe this bar, this pit, uses a very interesting expression. It says, A bar sham Yisrael's This pit into which Yishmael put the bodies of the dead people, that were killed through the hand of Gedaliah. What the Pasuk is saying is that Yishmael put all of these dead bodies into the pit, that these dead bodies that were killed through the hand of Gedaliah. And the Gemara seems to say that Gedaliah <coughs> killed out these Jews. And the Gemara says it's not true. Gedaliah didn't kill him. In fact, Gedaliah was dead. <coughs> the first person that Yishmael killed was Gedaliah and then <coughs> everyone else. But it wasn't Gedaliah. So why is the Pusuk saying that Gedaliah <coughs> was the one responsible for the murder of these Jews? It explains the Gemara, <coughs> Gedaliah should have listened to the words of Yochanan. When Yochanan warned him that Yishmael is coming to kill him, he should have listened. V'lochash, he didn't listen, he didn't suspect. Mala lavakasu, the Torah considers it, Ilohargan, as if he killed those Jews. Gedaliah should have listened to the warning. He should have listened to the warning and protected himself. Had he done that, all of those Jews would not have been killed because he didn't listen and all of those Jews were killed and the Pasuk blames him that he, they were killed through his hand because of his negligence, because he didn't listen to the words of Yochanan, the warning that came to him. Then the Gemara says, Rav Amar, Rav says, Hai Lishna Bishna, and this Lashon Hara, Afalpid Lekublei Lomi Boy, even though you're not allowed to accept Lashon Hara, you're not allowed to accept it as true, Michush Lomi Boy, you're allowed to be Choshesh, you're allowed to suspect. The Gemara's conclusion is that Gedaliah acted incorrectly. He should have listened. He should have guarded himself. He's not allowed to accept it as true. He wouldn't be allowed to actually kill Yishmael, let's say, because he doesn't know for a fact. But he certainly could have armed himself, could have put guards in place. He didn't do it, and that was his mistake. And this is the Gemara's conclusion, that you're allowed to listen and suspect Lashon Hara. You're not allowed to be Makabalit. And what I'd like to do in this session is take this Gemara and take these Psukim from the Novi and see what lessons we can learn out from them 
in terms of the halachas of Lashon Hara. So let's begin with the following question. Gedalia was a tremendous tzaddik. As a matter of fact, half of the tragedy was because we had such a Torah leader as in power in force there, and it could have been a vastly different future. So here's question number one. If Gedalia was such a tzaddik, why didn't he want to listen to those words? So let's begin focusing on what is one allowed to do in various situations. So in the last session we discussed the fact that Lashon Hara is forbidden to be spoken. It is a full Isad Da'araisa, a full prohibition of the Torah for me to speak words that are damaging, words that hurt a person's reputation, causes them a loss of, of money, causes them a loss of stature. Any words that damage a person in any way is in the category of Lashon Hara, and it's fully usher for me to speak about another Jew, and it's not just one Isser, many, many Isurim. We mentioned quite a number of losases, quite a number of assays. It's fully forbidden for me to speak about a Jew. In addition to that, it's forbidden for me to listen to Lashon Hara. <clears throat> Let's say you're telling me over about Ruvain. You're telling me a story, what he did, what he said, etc. Not only is it forbidden for you to speak about him, but there's a discrete, separate <clears throat> Isser, separate prohibition for me to listen. You're not allowed to speak, and I'm not allowed to listen. But there's a third prohibition. If you're not allowed to speak, and I'm not allowed to listen, I'm also not allowed to be macabre, I'm not allowed to accept it to be true. So let's imagine for a minute that you went ahead and told me, Ruvain did such and such. You violated the prohibition of speaking Lashon Hara. I, listening to that story, violated the Isser of listening to Lashon Hara. The next question is, do I accept it to be true or not? And explains the Chavetz as the Gemara says, Hamakablo, the one who accepts Lashon Hara, is considered worse than the speaker. Why? Because what the Torah is concerned with is Ruvain's reputation. The Torah is concerned for every Jew's reputation, stature, honor, money, whatever it may be. When you came to me to tell me a story, you were attempting, whether you meant it or not, but you were engaging in an act of ruining Ruvain's reputation. But you see, whether you succeed or not is in my hands. Because even if you speak, and even if I listen, I'm fully capable of saying, I don't believe what you say. I don't believe that Reuven would do that. I don't accept what you're saying. Reuven has a cheskas kashras. In my mind's eye, he has a status of being a kosher Jew, a smart, accomplished person, and I don't accept what you're saying is true, and I erase it from my mind. Because I'm fully capable of saying yes or no, accepting or not accepting, the Gemara says, if I accept your words as true, I'm the one who really put the nail in the coffin. I'm the one who really ruined Ruvain's reputation. You attempted to do it by speaking, by telling me it, but it's in my power to accept it or not. The final makabapatish, the final hammer blow is in the receiver's hands. If I accept it, if I'm a kabbalit, Ruvain's reputation is tarnished. If I don't accept it, it's not. And therefore, it's fully forbidden to accept Lashon Hara, explains Gemara, potentially even worse than speaking it. And this is the issue of Kabbalah's Lashon Hara. But let's deal with this fact that the first problem of listening to Lashon Hara. And there are various situations when this will occur. But let's imagine for a minute the following. Let's imagine that you sit down speaking to someone, and unbeknownst to you, you didn't anticipate it, you didn't realize it was going to happen, but all of a sudden you see that he's telling you a story that's clearly Lashon Hara. 
what do you do in that situation? So the first thing the Chavetz Chaim explains to us is that we have to recognize that that is a situation much like any other situation that a Jew finds himself in. If I'm tempted to sin, the Allah is it's forbidden. Meaning to say, if he's going to speak Lashon Hara, that's his issue. But it's forbidden for me to listen to Lashon Hara. And regardless of whether I thought he would, regardless of whether I anticipated it, I'm now in a situation where I will be forced to violate an Isser, and it's a full prohibition in the Torah, and therefore I have to get myself out of that situation. And really <clears throat> explains the Chavetz Chaim what I should do, the best case scenario, the best <clears throat> response in that situation is to say to the person telling me stories, I don't like to speak about other people, I don't like to hear things I haven't seen myself, and hopefully with that type of response, I'll actually stop him from speaking. Explains the Chavetz Chaim, <clears throat> what if I can't do that? Based on the social setting, I don't have the nerve or whatever it may be. I just don't feel I could do it. And the next best thing to do is just get up and leave. For instance, let's say you're in a group of people and Ruvain is speaking and there are 10 people there and you realize that Ruvain's changed the conversation all of a sudden and now he's telling over Lush and her. You get up and leave and you walked away so you didn't violate the prohibition of listening to Lush and her. However, let's assume you can't do number one. You can't say to the speaker, I don't want to hear about people who I don't never met or I don't know. I don't want to hear things that I haven't seen myself. And let's assume option number two really isn't available either. You can't just get up and leave. Option number three explains the Chavetz Chaim is to put your fingers in your ears and block your ears from hearing. However, it will often come about that all three of these options really are not possible or maybe they're too difficult and and I won't be able to do it. So explains the Chavetz Chaim, in this situation, I still have an alternative. I still have a way that I could get out without violating a Torah Isser. Why? Because, you see, I did not know that you were going to speak Lashon Hara. I didn't know that you were the person who would do that. I didn't sit down to intending to hear Lashon Hara. So I find myself in a situation of honest, against my will, I'm listening to Lashon Hara. Provided I do three things, explains the Chavetz Chaim, I will not violate a Torah Isser. <clears throat> Number one, I have to firmly make up in my mind that what you're saying now I will not accept as factual. Meaning to say, I'm in the situation against my will where you're speaking Lashon Hara. If I had more guts, you know, the situation were different, I'd either walk away or whatever, but I can't do it. So the fact that I'm listening is but honest is against my will, and I'm excused for that because I had no alternative. But I do have the option to accept it or not accept it, and Kabbalah's Lashon Hara, accepting Lashon Hara is a separate Isser, so therefore, the first thing I have to do, explains the Chavetz Chaim, is as you're speaking, I have to firmly make up in my mind, I'm not going to accept what you're saying is true. It's a story, maybe you changed the details, maybe you didn't realize. Whatever it is, I do not accept what you're saying as factually true. That's not what happened, it's not what he meant. There was a different shading, a different meaning, something different going on. The first thing I have to do is make up in my mind firmly, I will not accept. Number two, I have to not be nena, I can't derive benefit from the story. If it's a juicy story and I start getting into it and I start enjoying it, <clears throat> I'm being nena from an isr. I'm enjoying the <clears throat> prohibition in the Torah. I'm not allowed <clears throat> to take hanah, to take pleasure from <clears throat> a Torah isr, meaning to say I'm in this situation against my will. I can't get up and leave. <clears throat> I can't put my fingers in my ears. I can't stop you, but I can't stop whether I enjoy the story or whether I derive benefit. So the second <clears throat> issue is I have to not derive benefit, I can't have enough from it. 
And the third criteria is I can't help you along in the story. Many a times, if you'll be telling a story, my response to your story will determine how long you'll continue, how far you'll go. If I sit there and sort of like nod as if I'm not so interested, you may stop early. If I acknowledge, oh, wow, really? Is that really? No, wow. That's am- and I really give you positive response. You may add, you may embellish, you may add parts that you wouldn't have had otherwise. And this is the third criteria that have to be there. If I do these three things, meaning number one, I make up my mind that I will not accept it to be true. Number two, I don't derive benefit. I don't derive enjoyment. And number three, I don't aid, I don't help you tell more than since I was put into the situation against my will. I didn't realize it. I didn't anticipate it. In that case, I did not violate the Isser of Shmias of listening to Lashon Hara. So again, if I'm in a situation where someone is speaking Lashon Hara and I didn't anticipate it, the best thing is to see if I could stop him by saying, I don't like to speak about people, things I didn't see or people I, didn't, or I wasn't there. Next best is to walk away if possible. <clears throat> the third best would be at least put my finger in my ear so I don't hear it. If I can't do all three of those, for whatever the reason, either it's socially too difficult or it's, <clears throat> it would be too uncomfortable for me, I could still avoid violating a Torah prohibition provided I have these three requirements. <clears throat> Number one, I make up my mind not to be macabre. I don't accept it. Number two, <clears throat> I don't derive benefit from it. And number three, I don't aid, I don't help you tell more and continue the story. Now, assuming that I do this, I have not violated an Isser, and I've walked away clean. However, explains the Chavetz Chaim, one has to be very careful. Because what if I knew that you're the kind of person who does speak Lashon regularly? What if I know that, you know, in a social setting, it's pretty common, pretty likely that you're going to tell such stories? Explains the Chavetz Chaim. In that case, I lost my heter. Why? Because I can no longer say that when you're telling a story, I, I, I didn't anticipate, I didn't know it's an onus. You regularly do it. You regularly tell such stories. In that case, there is no patur. In that case, I can't, I can't say it's onus. I can't say it was against my will. I should have known. I should have anticipated. Explains the Chavetz Chaim. You have to choose your friends very wisely. If you have friends who habitually speak these kind of things, you're putting yourself in grave danger. <clears throat> because even though you don't want to speak Lashon Hara, even though you don't want to listen to Lashon Hara, because that person does regularly, and you sat down to speak to that person, you called them on the phone, and you're now engaging in Shmias Lashon Hara, and listening to Lashon Hara, and it's a full Isser, much like any other Isser Torah, and you're not allowed to, to do it. Okay, so now, <clears throat> at least we understand why Gedalia didn't want to listen. What Yochanan was telling him was clearly a very nasty, very character-destroying statement. Yochanan was saying to Gedalia that this Yishmael is coming to kill you. He's a murderer. He's an enemy of the Jewish people. And obviously, Gedalia wouldn't want to listen to that. And that part makes sense. But here's the question. It seems from the Gemara very clearly that Yochanan was allowed to say it. And the question is, why? <clears throat> if it's Lashon Hara, why was Yochanan allowed to say it? And the Chavetz Chaim explains that really, <clears throat> if you delve into what the Isser of the Torah is, you'll understand <clears throat> why it was absolutely permitted for him to speak it. Explains the Chavetz Chaim, <clears throat> what the Torah is makbed on, <clears throat> the real losa say of loselech rochel bamecha, don't be a talebearer, don't be a peddler in your nation, is <clears throat> the Torah doesn't want me going around 
defaming Jews, hurting their reputation, hurting their status. That's nasty, it's damaging, it's destructive. And the Torah forbids me from saying words that have that focus, have that purpose of destroying a person's character. Whether I meant to do it or not, if I blab and speak, what I'm doing is I'm destroying that person's character, I'm debasing them, I'm defaming them. That's what the Torah is mocked on. But what if my intentions are radically different? What if I'm not just blabbing because I want to destroy Ruvain's character? <clears throat> what if I'm trying to accomplish something very, very significant and very, very important? <clears throat> what if I'm trying to defend another Jew? There happens to be a losasei <clears throat> in the Torah, losamad al-damri echa. If you see a Jew drowning in the river, <clears throat> you're not allowed to just walk by and say, whatever. You're obligated, <clears throat> the right, so fully obligated to do whatever you can to save him. And the Gemara tells us it's not just if he's drowning and not just if he's physically in danger. If a Jew has a situation where he could be losing money, and I just sit back and say, listen, not my money, not my problem. If I allow that to happen, I violate Losamat al-Damri Echa, much like I'm obligated to make sure that he doesn't get damaged physically, he doesn't drown. I'm obligated to make sure that his money doesn't, he doesn't lose money, he doesn't have these type of damages. And if I sit back and allow that to happen, I violated the Losasei. It explains the time what happens in the following case. Let's imagine that I know that Ruvain is attempting to hurt Shimon. He's going to steal money, ruin his reputation, destroy his business, whatever it may be. If I know about this and I don't tell Shimon, then I just violated the How dare I sit back while Shimon is being destroyed, while he's being damaged, whether it's reputation, his money, whatever it may be. Explain to Chavetz Chaim, if I go over to Shimon and tell him, then I'm not speaking Lashon Hara, quite the opposite. That's Litoelis, it's for a positive reason. <clears throat> the Torah is Makbed that I don't just go out there and blast Ruvain, destroy his reputation. I'm not doing an act of destroying Ruvain's reputation. I'm doing an act of helping Shimon. But this is the key. My intentions define the action. You see, when I go over to Shimon, I could have various different intentions. I could be, hopefully, strictly intending to help him, strictly intending, listen, Shimon, I just wanted to let you know that Ruvain was, is going to do this and this, or did this and this, he damaged you, etc. If my intentions are to help Shimon, then clearly it's not Lashon Hara. Why? Because I'm not speaking words to destroy Ruvain's reputation. I'm speaking words of helpful, <clears throat> helping Shimon out of a tough situation. Will Ruvain's reputation be damaged? What could I do? That's a... Uh, it's a tangential fact. It's collateral damage. What I'm doing is I'm saving Shimon's life, saving his money, helping him out. If there's damage that happens, what could I do? I have to follow the Torah's ways. But let's imagine for a minute that my intention when I go over to Shimon is I don't like Ruvain, and now I'm getting to hmm stick it to him good. Even though I'm doing something very positive, even though I'm helping Shimon out, because my intentions are to hurt that other person, Ruvain, I'm absolutely forbidden. It's 100% Lashon Hara, and it's forbidden for me to say it. It explains the Chavetz Chaim, intentions are everything when it comes to this situation. So it comes out as follows. If I see that I know a certain piece of information, and it will be helpful to Shimon to know that, I'm allowed to tell him, but there are certain requirements that have to be met to make it permitted. And explains the Chavetz Chaim, there are five requirements that are have to be all in place to allow me to tell Shimon what I want to tell him. 
Number one, I have to know factually that it's true. Meaning to say I have to know that Ruvain really tried to damage him, did damage him, whatever the story may be. I have to know it to be factually true. If I'm not really sure, I can't then go ahead and say it because I don't really know. If I have very, very good reason to suspect it, a lot of evidence, a lot of circumstantial evidence, and it really looks that way, the Chavetz Chaim says, I'm not sure, but it could be that you're allowed to go over to Shimon and say in this language, I, I, I don't know for a fact, but it looks to me that he, he's out to get you. Explains the Chavetz Chaim, he's not 100% sure, but it, it could be that they're permitted. But the first requirement to really be permitted is I have to know it to be true. Number two, I can't exaggerate. If Ruvain, let's say, tried to steal a certain amount of money, I can't expand beyond what it was. I can't make it worse. Number three, I have to intend for the good, meaning to say my intentions have to be to help out the person that I'm telling this story to. I have to be intending to help Shimon. If my intentions are really to damage Ruvain, etc., then it's no longer in the category of mutter. It's 100% Lashon Hara. Number four, I can't accomplish the same thing in any other way. And number five, I can't cause more harm than would happen in Beisden. Now, four and five we'll discuss a little bit further in future sessions. But the bottom line is that if I have a piece of information that can help Shimon, because I know that Ruvain damaged him, or I know this is something that he needs to know, I'm allowed to tell him, provided I know it factually to be true, and provided I don't exaggerate, provided my intentions are to help him, and again, provided I can't accomplish the same thing in any other way, and it's not going to bring about more damages than what happened in Bezdin. Now, this is true whether it's directly damaging to Shimon, meaning if I tell him Ruvain did something, or even if I know that Ruvain might be entering into a situation that could be damaging to him. What happens if I know that Ruvain wants to employ someone and I happen to know for a fact that that person is not honest. What if I, if Ruven wants to enter into a business deal with someone, and I know that someone's not honest, or he wants to enter into a shidduch? Here too, I'm allowed to tell Ruven what I know, because what I'm doing is, what I'm doing is, I'm speaking letoelis. I'm speaking for a positive reason. So if in fact this person, not informed that Ruven wants to hire someone, and I know that person's a thief, I know the person's not reliable, whatever it may be. Again, provided I re- met these five requirements, I'm allowed to tell them. One, I have to know it factually to be true. Two, I can't exaggerate. Three, I have to have kavana intentions for the good. Four, I can't accomplish the same result in any other way. And five, I can't do more damage than what was done in Beisden. So bottom line is, if we look at what Yochanan did, we see that what he did was 100% proper and appropriate. There was a lot of evidence and there was a lot of knowledge that this Shishmal was out to kill Gedalia. While it was done in a clandestine manner, it was done behind the scenes, there was a lot of evidence and it's certainly in the situation of Losamad al-Dam Echa and certainly Yochanan came to save Gedalia's life. It was Latoelis. He met all the requirements. So it was certainly permitted for him to speak. But let's look at the next step of it. Was Gedalia allowed to listen? You see, it's not always so simple that if one person is allowed to speak, the other person is allowed to listen. And the Chaim explains that there are four situations when it's permitted for me to listen to Lashon Hara. And the first and the most common is if I'm listening to Lashon Hara, not to hurt Ruvain's reputation, not to damage him, but to protect myself. 
Again, let's imagine that I'm the one who needs to hire an employee. I'm the one who wants to enter into a business deal, or I'm the one who wants to enter into a shidduch. And the person with whom this is involved is Ruvain, but I don't know who he is. In that situation, if I'm going to ask people, I'm allowed to listen to Lashon Hara about Ruvain. Why? Because I'm not intending to harm his reputation. I'm not intending to damage him. My intentions over there are very simple and very straightforward. I want to protect myself from harm. I don't want to get into a bad situation. I don't want to get involved in a situation that's going to damage me. So in that case, my intentions are pure. My intentions are not to hurt anybody else. My intentions are to protect myself. That's one situation where I'm absolutely allowed to listen to Lashon Hara. If you know that Ruvain is a thief, you're telling me he's dishonest, whatever it may be, it's absolutely permitted for me to listen. There's another case, another situation where it's permitted for me to listen, and that's even if it doesn't help me, but it helps somebody else. Let's imagine for a minute that you're going to tell me a story about Ruvain harming Shimon. And I know that if I get the details here, I can actually help Shimon. I could get the money back. I could get Ruvain to admit, whatever it may be. I'm allowed to listen there too. Why? Because again, my intentions are not to damage Ruvain's reputation. I'm not listening because I want to see Ruvain in the dirt. I'm listening because there's a very positive result here. I potentially could help Shimon. If I listen to these words, I may bail Shimon out. I may be able to get his money back, his reputation, whatever it may be. And therefore, again, I would be allowed to listen. And these first two situations are very, very common. And let's sort of paint the picture for a minute because this happens all the time. Let's, in fact, imagine that you're looking for a shidduch for yourself, your daughter, your son, whatever it may be. And a certain name is mentioned. Now, it sounds interesting. On paper, the person matches up. It sounds like a wonderful shidduch. But you've got to call the references because you have to find out, you know, what's, uh, what's doing. Now, obviously, your intentions are pure. I'm calling this person up because I want to know who this uh, potential suitor is. Is it fit for my daughter? Is it fit for my son? Who is this person? My intentions are pure. And that explains that a lot of times we make a mistake in that situation. Let's imagine for a minute that my daughter was read a shirach to so-and-so, and I see the name, and it sounds interesting, but I want to find out sort of the dirt. I want to find out the real scoop. If he's a great guy, fine, let's do it. If not, uh, you know, I, I want to protect my daughter, right? I'm, my kavanas are certainly pure. But I say to myself as follows. If I'm going to call up this person in the reference and then tell him that I'm looking, you know, I want information about a shirach, obviously he's going to be very guarded, and he's not going to want to ruin a shirach, and he's not going to tell me. I'm going to be a little slicker than that. I'm going to call him up and just casually mention that name. And we have enough of a relationship that if I mention a name, he's going to be pretty, you know, open. He'll start talking and I'll coax out of him who this guy really is. But I'm not going to mention the why behind my phone call. I'm just going to sort of bring up the name in conversation and I'll find out the truth. Explains the time. while that may sound clever, I'm actually putting myself in grave jeopardy. Why? Because there is a full <clears throat> Isser in the Torah called Lifne Iver Lotite Mirshal. Do not put a stumbling block in front of a, another Jew. The Gemara defines that as if I prepare the way for you to sin, I violate an Isser. <clears throat> if without me you could not have done a sin, and through my actions I either made it simpler or easier, if through me <clears throat> I prepared the way for you to sin, not only do you sin because you sinned, but I prepared the way. Without me, you couldn't have done it. I violated lift the evil of Titemichshel. 
<clears throat> explains the Chavetz Chaim, if I call that person up and I don't tell him why I'm telling, why I'm calling, and I just sort of casually engage him in conversation, and he just sort of starts telling me stories about this person, he's speaking Lashon Hara. Because he doesn't have in mind any shidduch over here. He doesn't know if there's any to Ellis. He's just blabbing. He's just speaking. He's speaking Lashon Hara. But the problem is that I coaxed him into it. I prepared the way. He wouldn't have done it without me, couldn't have done it without me. I brought him into it. He violates the surim, the many prohibitions of speaking Lashon Hara. I violate Lifni Ever. I caused him to speak it. And therefore explains the Chavetz if you want to find out information about a partner, about a shidduch, whatever it may be, you have to be very upfront and you have to tell the person, I'm asking you this because I'm entering into a potential business dealing, a potential shidduch, whatever the situation may be, and I'm asking you for a positive reason. And I want you to be honest with me, and I want you to be candid. I won't tell anybody else. I certainly won't tell that person. Please be open. Please be candid. In that case, if you're telling me, you're telling me for Leto Ellis, you're allowed to speak. I'm allowed to listen because I'm listening to Ellis. And the Chavetz Chaim guarantees that if you do it that way, you'll get the information you're supposed to get. And he says, that is the only way that you can. The bottom line is, it's forbidden for me to listen to Lashon Hara. If it's Lito Ellis, if it's for a positive reason, then it's permitted. What are the positive reasons? Situation number one is if it's to protect me. I'm not listening because I want to hurt Ruvain's reputation. I want to do it for my good. Situation number two is if by listening to this Lashon Hara, I can help one of the people involved. And if I listen to the fact that Ruvain stole from Shimon, and now I could save Shimon that money, get it back, or <clears throat> come up with some good for Shimon, then again, I'm not listening for a negative reason, and again, it's permitted. And there are two more <clears throat> situations where it's permitted to listen to Lashon Hara. Explains the Chavetz Chaim, let's say that I see that this guy is very angry at his friend. Let's use the names Ruvain and Shimon. <clears throat> let's see, let's imagine that I hear that Ruvain is furious with Shimon, and he's really furious. But I also realize that he's furious because he misunderstood what happened. He thinks that Shimon did X, Y, and Z, but that wasn't Shimon's intention. It wasn't really what he did. If I know that I could explain to Ruvain that he learned wrong pshat, he misunderstood, he didn't get the details correctly, I could accomplish a tremendous thing by listening. I could bring shalom between these two people. In that case, I'm not listening to Lashon Hara. I'm listening to a story. He may think he's telling Lashon Hara, but when I'm listening, I'm doing it to Ellis. Even though he's intending to speak Lashon Hara, I'm listening for a positive reason, and I'm allowed to listen in that case. In that situation, I don't have to tell him that I'm only listening for a good purpose. He can speak Lashon Hara. He's going to speak Lashon Hara. He's going to speak it anyway. In that case, I'm going to accomplish much more by listening. I'm allowed to listen because what I'm doing is I'm going to calm him down and make the situation better, not worse. Another situation where I'm allowed to listen is if a person is furious and I see he's going to go blasting all over town. But I know that if I let him vent to me, he'll probably just calm down. It explains the Chavetz Chaim, again, that's Lato Ellis. I'm allowing him to vent, and I'm allowing him to calm down, and he won't tell other people. In that case, again, it's a situation that's permitted, Number three and number four, one has to be very careful about because, again, in case number three, I have to know that I could really show Ruvain that he learned wrong pshat and shimon. In case number four, I really have to know that I could, by listening, allow him to vent and he'll calm down. But the normal circumstances where it's permitted to listen to Lashon Hara is if I'm listening for Toelis for a positive purpose. With that being said, should Gedaya have listened to this? Absolutely. Why? 
<clears throat> Yochanan was bringing him information that was vital for his rulership, vital for his life. <clears throat> Yochanan was telling him that someone is out to kill him. That is 100% permitted for Yochanan to speak <clears throat> because he's speaking it to Ellis. And it's 100% mutter for Gedalia to listen because he should be listening for the purpose of, hey, it's my life. It's the rest of the Jewish nation's life. And it certainly would be permitted. And that's exactly what Rava said. <clears throat> Rava's expression on the Gemara was, Hai lishna bishna, <clears throat> this Lashon Hara, afalpid l'kubli lomi boy, even though you're not allowed to be makabalit, you're not allowed to accept it as true, mikush lomi boy, you're allowed to be choshesh. <clears throat> and this is the halacha. What Gedalia should have done is he should have listened. And he should have said, I cannot accept this to be factually true. Kabbalah means that I accept what you're saying is, as fact. I cannot accept it. Even if it's permitted for you to speak, even if it's per- permitted for me to listen, I'm not allowed to accept it as factually true. But I am allowed to suspect it. And I am allowed to say to myself, wait a minute, <clears throat> maybe it's true. I don't accept it as factually true. I haven't said in my mind, I accept that Yishmael is coming out to murder me, but it might be true. And therefore, I'm allowed to take precautions. I'm allowed to put up armed guards. I'm allowed to get myself ready. I'm allowed to prepare the way. I wouldn't be allowed to actually kill Yishmael first because I don't know factually be true. To go kill another Jew, I would have to know factually that he's out to get me. If, in fact, he's out to kill me, of course, I'm allowed to kill him first. But I don't know that factually to be true. So when Yochanan told him the story, Gedalia was not allowed to accept it as true and wasn't allowed to go out there and kill him. However, he was allowed to be choshish, and he was allowed to suspect it. And this is the halacha. The Chavetzayim explains that imagining for a moment that I have a situation where I'm allowed to listen. Let's assume, again, I'm hiring somebody or I'm going to enter into a shidduch, and I go to you and I say, please tell me, what do you know about this person? I'm entering into a shidduch, I'm entering into a business deal. I've told you what my intentions are, it's for the good. When you speak, you're allowed to speak. Why? Because you're intending to help me from harm. If you tell me that this person is X, Y, and Z, you're allowed to speak, and I'm allowed to listen. But I'm not allowed to accept it to be factually true. Meaning to say, let's assume I want to hire somebody. And I ask you, tell me, I, you know, I want to hire Ruvain. What do you know about him? If you know it to be factually true, you're allowed to tell me. It just so happens to be, I know that Ruvain is a thief. He's a dishonest person, and you shouldn't hire him. I'm allowed to ask because I'm asking to protect myself. You're allowed to speak because you're speaking to Ellis. And I'm allowed to listen because, again, I'm listening to Ellis. And what I'm allowed to do then is I'm allowed to be choshesh. You know something? You might be right. It could well be that Ruvain is a thief. I'm not going to hire him. I'm not allowed to damage Ruvain. I'm not allowed to go spread words about him. I'm not allowed to fire him necessarily because I heard these words. I'm certainly allowed to suspect it. If I didn't hire him yet, I don't have to hire him. If I didn't make a shidduch with him yet, I don't have to make that shidduch. I'm allowed to protect myself. I'm allowed to suspect. Kabbalah means I accept it as factually true, and either I accept it in my heart, or especially if I act on it. That's also under almost every circumstance. Even if you're allowed to speak, even if I'm allowed to listen, in almost every circumstance it's forbidden for me to be makabalit, to accept it as factually true. However, even though I'm not allowed to be makabalit, I'm allowed to be choshish, I'm allowed to suspect it, and what I'm allowed to do is to protect myself Again, I don't have to hire the person, I don't have to get involved, whatever it may be, and to protect myself is absolutely mutter. So let's quickly summarize. 
Number one, the question was, was Gedalia, since he was a tzaddik, why do you want to listen? And the answer is because Shmias Lashon Hara, listening to Lashon Hara, is forbidden 100%. Aside from the prohibitions of speaking Lashon Hara, it's absolutely forbidden to listen. As it's forbidden to listen, it's also forbidden to be macabre. And for that reason, obviously, Gedalia didn't want to listen. Now, if you find yourself in a situation where against your will, you're forced to listen to Lashon Hara. You end up in a business meeting or a social gathering, and all of a sudden someone starts telling a story. So explains the Chavetz Chaim, the best scenario there is to try to stop the person. I don't like to hear stories that I didn't see. I don't like to talk about other people. If you can't do that, the next best situation is to try to walk away. Again, if it's a large gathering, you just slip away. Third best would be to stick your fingers in your ears. But imagine that all three of those are not practical because you ended up against your will in the situation, it's honest, and you could avoid violating the prohibition of Shmias of listening to Lashon Hara, provided you do three things. <clears throat> Number one, you make up firmly in your mind, I do not accept this to be factually true. Maybe there's different circumstances, maybe he didn't realize, maybe he's misinterpreting. I don't accept <clears throat> what he's saying to be factually true. <clears throat> Number two, I also have to have in mind that I'm not going to be Nen, I'm not going to enjoy the story because it is an Isser. <clears throat> he's speaking Lashon Hara. And if I'm going to be nene, if I'm going to enjoy the story, I'm being nene from listening to Lashon Hara. I'm not allowed to be nene. And number three, I can't coax him along. You see, if I kind of nod and say, wow, really, and I encourage him, I'm violating Lifna Iver. Why? Because he began telling a story about Ruvain, but he might have stopped. By my encouraging him, by my nodding, really, no kidding, wow, that's amazing. I'm coaxing him, and he now may embellish it. He now may add to it. He may speak more Lashon Hara. Every statement that's derogatory is a distinct Isser. <clears throat> every part of it is an Isser. The Chavetz Chaim says that every word of, <clears throat> of Lashon Hara is an Isser. But certainly if he's going to add to the story, if he's going to embellish it, <clears throat> add another detail, add something more to it, <clears throat> that's certainly a separate Isser from the original speech. If I've encouraged that, if through my nodding, my acknowledging, I <clears throat> helped him along, I violated Lifna Iver. So again, if you find yourself in a situation where someone's speaking, best is to try to stop them. If not, you try to walk away. If not, fingers in the ear. If that doesn't work, provided that you have a mind that I'm not going to be macabre. I won't enjoy, I won't derive benefit. And you don't help him along. You don't help him speak more. You did not violate any isurim because it's honest. It's against your will. However, again, the Chavetz Chaim explains that if you knew that this person regularly speaks Lashon Hara, or you knew these people generally speak about people, then there's no Peturonis. You can't say, I didn't know. You can't say it's against my will. You walked there willingly knowing that these people regularly speak Lashon Hara. You walked into this cave, this den of iniquity. You knew it was going to happen. And even if you try all of these tricks, you're not macabre and you don't have Hanah, and you really don't, you know, in any sense, help anybody along. You still you're listening to Lashon Hara, and there is no pater on us because you could have prevented it. You didn't have to be there. And again, explains the time choose your friends wisely, because in fact, one has to be very careful. Next point we mentioned was was Yochanan permitted to speak. There are in fact times when not only am I permitted to speak, there are times when I'm obligated to speak Lashon Hara. There's a losa saying in the Torah we said of losamad adam Recha, I'm not allowed to sit back and watch my friend. Drowning, <clears throat> not allowed to sit back and watch my friend's property being damaged. I'm obligated to help him. <clears throat> in that situation, I'm not speaking Lashon Hara. If I tell Shimon <clears throat> that Ruvain did something, is going to do something to him, 
in that situation, I'm not defaming Ruvain. What I'm doing is I'm helping Shimon. Now, there's going to be collateral damage. Ruvain is going to be besmirched through this, but my intentions define that action as helpful action for Shimon, and therefore there are times when I'm literally obligated to speak Lashon Hara. <clears throat> for that to be true, for it to be permitted, and for me to be obligated, there are five requirements. <clears throat> Number one, I have to know it for a fact to be true. I can't be sort of not sure. Again, <clears throat> as we mentioned, if it's a situation <clears throat> where I can prevent something happening in the future, <clears throat> and I know that Ruvain is out to get Shimon, I, and I don't know it factually, I could maybe, says the Chavetz maybe tell him, I'm not sure, but to be 100% sure, I have to really know it factually to be true. Number two, I can't exaggerate. Number three, I have to intend for the good. Number four, I can't not be, I can't have any other way to accomplish it without speaking Lashon Hara. And again, five, I can't cause more harm than would be happening in Beisden. And again, four and five in a future session, we're going to deal with more in depth. So in reference to the question, was Yochanan allowed to speak? Not only was he allowed to speak, there was an obligation upon him. Why? He knew this to be a fact that Yishmael was out to murder Gedalia. What he was doing was speaking to Ellis, and it's 100% permitted for him to speak. Was it permitted for Gedalia to listen? The answer is there are four situations when it's permitted for you to listen to Lashon Hara. Number one, to protect yourself. Obviously, in Gedalia's case, that's what's going on. Case number two, you're allowed to listen to Lashon Hara. If you could help somebody else by listening, if I could right the wrong that was done, if I listen to this Lashon Hara that Ruvain stole something from Shimon and I know I could get the money back, I'm allowed to listen. Even though it's not helping me, it's helping somebody else. And again, case three and four, which are not as simple, are I'm allowed to listen to Lashon Hara if I can correct that person's version of the events. If Ruvain's angry at Shimon because he thinks Shimon did X, Y, and Z, and I know that he's missing a detail, and I know that if by listening carefully to the story I could point out to Ruvain his mistake, Again, I'm not intending to listen to Lashon Hara. I'm listening to a story to help. And therefore, I don't even have to warn him. I can just listen. And again, case number four is if a person is venting, meaning to say, I see a person is really angry and is going to go all around blabbing. And I know if I give him a good listening, I bend an ear and listen carefully, he'll calm down. In that case, I'm helping. Why? Because what's going to happen is there's going to be less Lashon Hara, less Jews are going to be damaged. In that case, I'm not... Doing an act of listening to Lashon Hara. But again, in case one and two, if in fact I want to find out information about a shidduch or a, some situation, I have to make sure to tell the person that I'm asking, that I'm asking Leto Ellis, I'm asking for, because there's a positive reason here, whether it's a shidduch, whether it's business dealing, because otherwise I entrap that person in speaking Lashon Hara. So again, should, was good. Yochan allowed to speak? The answer is 100%. Should Gedalia have listened? The answer again is 100%. He should have listened. Why? Because he's listening over there to protect himself, and that's 100% permitted. The mistake that he made was he should have been choshish, he should have listened, should have suspect, but not be macabre. As Rava says, and this is the lesson that we learn from this story, Gedalia's mistake was in not listening. The Gemara blames him. The Pusik says he's the one who killed those Jews. And it's an amazing illustration. When you try to be more religious than the Torah, when you try to be frumma than what the Torah wants from you, you can violate so many, so much greater Yisurim that you can't even imagine it. Gedalia is considered the one who killed thousands of Jews. Why? Because what he should have done in that case is he should have listened but not be macabre. As Rava says, Lishna Bishna, Lashon Hara, 
You're allowed to listen under certain circumstances. You're not allowed to accept it to be factually true. You're not allowed to be makabalit. <clears throat> Gedali should have listened. <clears throat> he should have suspected and just put himself on guard. And that's the halacha. And <clears throat> when you're in such a situation, you're allowed to ask, provided you set the situation properly. You're allowed to listen. <clears throat> and you're allowed to guard yourself. You don't have to hire the person necessarily. You don't have to make the shidduch. But you're not allowed to accept it factually to be true. And <clears throat> you can't act on it in a way <clears throat> of taking revenge or spreading the word about this person and anything like because that would mean that you factually accepted it. You're allowed to be choshish but not makabal. Again, Gedaliah wrought tremendous damage to himself, to the cholesterol, because he didn't listen. When you're allowed to listen, you're obligated to. When you're obligated to speak, you have to. But almost in all circumstances, you're not allowed to be makabal. You're not allowed to accept it to be factually true. You've been listening to Guard Your Tongue, a practical, engaging guide to the laws of Shmiras Halashon. This is one of many Shmooz series. The Shmooz needs your help to continue its vital work. We have no major donors and are supported by people who recognize the value of the message and want to help us get it out to as wide an audience as possible. Please go to theshmooz.com donate section where you can be a part of making this dream a reality. That's www.theshmuz.com. The schmooze.com.